You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the Zabecast, if there's to be a Caps Championship Parade where will it be, and will Andy Poland and I attend together? A good question we'll try to tackle today. The NBA has become a three-point shooting contest, and at times a not particularly artful one. Is it wrong to point that out? All that plus fighting fire with fire when it comes to, quote, revenge porn. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! Oh, 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 oh. Here we go! Friday, May 25th, 2018, and here we are on the doorstep of summertime. Memorial Day weekend, 2018. I hope you have a big one lined up. Golf trip, boat trip, lake house, beach house, cookout, concert, all the above. You name it. Go out this weekend and absolutely tear it up. And as always, bring the Zabecast along with you, ding ding, in your pocket, in your playlist in case you get bored or you've got a long drive somewhere who knows nba playoffs have taken a dramatic turn towards the underdogs cleveland golden state had been the presumptive finals participants the presumptive team excuse god i gotta edit that the fuck out cleveland golden state had been the presumptive yeah yeah that's gonna happen NBA Finals for a long time now. And there was some fluctuation over on the Cleveland side of it because it's like, oh my God, Cleveland's about to lose to Indiana. Oh my God, Cleveland just swept through you know, Toronto. They're going all the way. Oh my God, Cleveland just lost two in Boston. They suck. Oh, wait a minute. The Cavaliers won two at home. So that's been fluctuating. But basically the shape of the NBA playoffs, the expected shape has been Cleveland Golden State. Run it back one more time for all the marbles. In June. Well, now we've got both Houston and Boston up three games to two, including last night's stunning and weird result in Houston, in which you've got pretty much James Harden shooting up a metric ton of bricks, and the Rockets still win. 98 94 was your final last night over the Golden State Warriors. 3 2 Rockets lead going back to the Bay Area to try to close it out. And try to close it out, maybe without Chris Paul. Maybe with a limited Chris Paul. We shall see on that. If you were to try to, you know, predict a game like this, ending like this, you would have been told you're crazy that basically uh, Harden could go 0 for 11 from three-point range and they would win the game. But they did. They did. Because Harden went 0 for 11 and said afterwards he doesn't care that he is 0 for 11 last night. He's 0 for his last 20 three-point shots. Said Harden, who cares? We're winning the games. I'm trying to compete on the defensive end and do other things to help my team win. But if we got a guy like Gordon making shots and being aggressive, who cares? You know what? That's a fair answer. I don't think it looks good when you ex- when you pull that quote out. It's like, James Harden doesn't care that he's 0 for 11. He says his... Feels like a shot is good. They're just not falling. Well, it's probably a lot of shot selection as well. But really, when it comes to three-point shooting in today's NBA, there is no such thing as shot selection. It's just shoot it. Mike D'Antoni, whose Rockets set the record this year in the NBA for threes made and threes attempted, and Harden himself, who was number one in both categories, 
uh, while scoring 30 points per game, is expected to be the league's MVP. I think that's silly. I think LeBron is the MVP, but okay. Vote for whoever you want to vote for. Uh, The Rockets believe, under Mike D'Antoni, that the key to beating Golden State is launching at least 40 threes a night. 43-point shots. I, I know that three-point shooting has been going up and up and up and up in the NBA, but that, that just takes your breath away thinking 43s. So you've got you know a league now in which three-point shooting is the end-all, be-all. And what the game looked like last night as you watched it, and I watched it, was bad three-point shooting, labored three-point shooting, action involving maybe one or two guys on a simple pick-and-roll outside the arc followed by a jacked-up three that's highly contested in the final five seconds of the shot clock. Quite a few of those went in. Uh, Chris Paul made one that was like, what the fuck just happened? How did that go in? But on the other hand, a lot of them were bricks. And, of course, Harden was the main brick layer or the sewer lid dropper. (laughs) Clang, clang, clang. Oh, one more time, just for the record, Kevin Durant had zero points in the fourth quarter. Kevin Durant, the guy who once was dubbed by a newspaper headline in Oklahoma City as, quote, Mr. Unreliable, and got so butthurt and bent out of shape, some believe that was part of what helped chase him from OKC. The same Kevin Durant who once created burner accounts on Twitter to go after people that criticized his game. That same Kevin Durant. I'm not hating on Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is a spectacular talent. Last year in the in the finals, he was sublime. But man, it's pretty bad when you go one for four, pass up what would have been the game-winning shot at home, and then follow that up by going bagel. A bagel in the fourth quarter as you drop game five to Houston when James Harden, your other MVP of the league besides Durant, besides Westbrook, besides LeBron, shoots a 0 for 11. So anyway, I'm just watching the game last night, and I sent out a tweet that basically said, ISO 3, uh, lean-in foul, um, what else? What, what would I say the tweet was the league, basically? It was it was isolation ball, contested three, make-up uh, or bailout foul, repeat. Yes, that was the basic pattern of the game. Oh, and mix in a couple of 24-second shot clock violations, which is also something I I, I would love to have seen a 24 24- I wonder if ever there's been in the 1980s between any teams in the finals back-to-back shot clock violations. I just have a hard time believing that. And yeah, part of it's good defense, but a lot of it is just wasting most of the shot clock before you jack something up. So anyway, my point was I just was tweeting some of my observations about the game and I inevitably got some people to get angry. NBA Twitter fans to get angry that, oh, their beloved sport was being mildly criticized. Joel Simons tweeted, and if the same thing happened in college basketball, you'd say great defense and coaching. Knocking the NBA seems so something. Well, Joel, I'll finish what I'm sure, what I believe I'm certain you meant by that. You didn't want to say it, but I'll say it. It Knocking the NBA seems so racist. Right? Because the NBA is predominantly black. I think 85% or thereabouts. College basketball, by comparison, is only 65% black. Maybe it's only 50-50. Not sure. If you think you figured me out, like, yes, I'm purposely knocking the NBA for that extra 20% of white players that are at the college level, you're crazy. Because I said to the guys in Vegas this spring, I said, look at this game we're watching. Michigan Michigan versus... uh, Florida State was 27-26 at halftime. Why are we watching? This is garbage. Why are we out here watching these games? We should move Zay Vegas to October and then bet on football games. And I have loved college basketball over the years. Someone defended me saying, yes, yeah, not only that, but the two best defense, two best offenses, two quote best offenses in the NBA, have been held under 100 points the last two games in a row, and it's not because of good defense. Brian Fate backed me up on Twitter, said this Houston Golden State game is just trash basketball. ISO dribble, step backs, fake lean-ins, get the foul shots, shitty ball movement, no open jumpers or easy buckets, yuck. I mean, that's... You may, may say it's not fair to call it trash basketball. Okay, take that pejorative out of it. What's the game look like right now? 
the game looks a lot different than it once did. I would love to see, and I'm sure YouTube has it. I hope YouTube has it. Maybe I'll spend some time this long weekend taking a look. I just want to watch the first Warriors championship without Durant three years ago, and I want to see the general quality of play. My guess is, and you can either back me up or refute me or send me multimedia supporting evidence via links and GIFs and videos or whatever, my recollection is the Warriors played a beautiful, flowing, full-team effort style of basketball that could get shots, good shots, easy shots, layups and dunks under pressure with a multitude of players when the games were on the line three years ago. Apparently that is absolutely not the case now. In fact, scratch apparently, the last two games Golden State has played basketball as if they were the team that was in the playoffs and this far along for the first time in their current team's history, not the other way around. So it's setting up for a a pretty good, pretty meaty weekend of NBA basketball, of which I'm going to watch every single game, and I'm going to look forward to it despite sometimes tweeting out some mildly critical thoughts about the quality of the play or the overall way the NBA game is presented these days. Oh, one more thing from last night. There was a uh, there was a total walk by James Harden on a drive in the lane where he was going to pull his patented move of, ooh, I felt contact, let me now fling my arms up and pretend like I was shooting so I can draw a foul. Well, the referees were having none of it. So three steps to contact then an exaggerated reaction by him, two more steps afterwards as he fumbled the ball, referees blew the whistle, called a travel. Of course the home crowd went crazy, of course the bench went crazy for Houston, and the referees then huddled up. They then determined inadvertent whistle, which is a thing in basketball. I'm not saying it's not a thing. It is. It's pretty rare to see. But it was just crazy that they didn't have the stomach to go, yeah, that's a travel, and we're going the other way. It's almost as if, nah, I don't want to say it. Should I say it? It's almost as if the referees knew that, well, it would be a real shame if the home team here tied two games apiece, having to go back to one of the toughest places to win a game this weekend. It'd be really tough if this home team here were to lose the game on a traveling call. With under two minutes to play. Ah, nah. They wouldn't think that far ahead. So when I talked to Bob Bryan this morning about how, what it must have been like for the first guy in Dr. Naismith's basketball world with the peach buckets nailed to the wall of the YMCA in Springfield, Massachusetts, the first guy to take a really long shot, well before there was any three-point line, but a long shot that is countered to the notion of, hey, work it around, pass it, set screen so you can get a good close shot to the peach basket because the close shots are the better shots. I said, what would have been like when the first guy shot from way, way, way far away? How would that have looked? How would that have felt? What would that have seemed like? Well, somebody sent me the perfect clip. It's from Semi-Pro in which Jackie Moon has a dream about his black mother Yes, that was in the movie. Dream about his black mother in heaven passing down to him a gift. A gift called the alley-oop. I had a dream. I had a dream I was in heaven. And my mother spoke to me. She was wearing this flowing white gown. and She showed me a brand new way to score a basket. She called it the alley-oop. She spoke to me and she said... With this gift, you will win fourth place. We are back in action here at the Mega Bowl. Coffee Black is playing for the Tropics. Jackie makes the start here. In fact, it looks like he's running the offense. Sending Woody Harrelson and Coffee Black, I forget the actor's name, into motion for an alley-oop. And then in super slow-mo, he launches the the alley part of the oop. The ball's in the air. 
Everybody stops. They're looking around. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know what just happened. A very unusual series of moves just made the ball go in. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, Dick, but I just got an erection. Oh. <laughs> foul. No, two fouls. Foul. Foul. I didn't touch anybody. Look, Jackie, people can't just go flying in the air like that. Oh, please. My mom wouldn't cheat in my dreams. What? She's an angel. Heaven wants us to win this game. I'll burn your house down. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. It can't be a foul <laughs> without touching another player, and it can't be traveling without first establishing a pivot foot. That's it's right. Two points, Father Pat. It is two points. All right, I'm going to allow it. That's the gospel. Two points, please. <laughs> That's the gospel. If you got time this weekend, if you've never seen Semi Pro with Will Ferrell, very, very underrated. All right, it is Andy Poli time. Hello. Hello, how's it sound? Yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Andy Poller right. joining us now, scouting locations in downtown D.C. for the upcoming Capitals Parade! <laughs> <laughs> How great would that be? Seriously, though, Andy, I, I started to think, where would a Caps Parade be? Huh, I would think down Constitution Avenue. Um, that's what or... I would think, too, but... Would you be afraid that we wouldn't get a big enough crowd for that? Oh, no, 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 no. You there, think we would? would? A, yeah. Oh, look, have you been uh, – I, I haven't seen much of the coverage, but I've been reading about uh, how on the steps of the museum outside the uh, Capital One Arena – got to get used to saying that – Yeah. Uh, just a sea of red uh, for a road game. You know, the people are watching. Uh, people are inside the Capital One Arena watching the game. We had, we had, t- had 10,000 or so, I believe, inside for Game 7. And a bunch congregated outside afterwards. But, that you know, the steps of the art building is a lot smaller than a f- two-mile stretch of Constitution Avenue. That's no? true. Yeah. But, look, I mean, I've been reading, and you have, too, these tweets from friends of ours like Chick Hernandez who has kids in college and said this is the first time in their lifetime that any local team has played for a championship and there are just so many people younger than we are who have never experienced a championship like the Redskins gave us in the past and I think they show up oh yeah for sure will you show up at a parade I would might do that yeah I'm not a hockey fan you said you you said might yeah well, I reserve you wanna, the right not to show. Well, I'm just saying, don't you think if they have a parade, we're getting way ahead of ourselves too, oh, by the way. Yeah. But you have to start thinking this way. If there is a parade, then I think you and I have to go together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What, okay. we, should, we should set up our own little booth there so that people can, uh, especially Caps fans, a kissing throw booth? eggs and tomatoes at us. Hey, 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 what? What? Why would we do that? <laughs> no. I mean, look, who has faced more ire from Capitals fans than we have over oh, the years? Oh, bullshit. Everybody's faced ire from the Capitals jihadis over the year. You don't talk enough hockey. They've said that about every show. You I and I, Andy, well, did a credible job of talking the proper amount of hockey when it mattered. We did, but, it, but you know, but it was never it, it enough. Was never enough. It don't no, never enough. And then when you do start talking more hockey, the same jihadis get mad because you don't know what you're talking about, right? Right. They're like, right. talk right. more hockey. Okay, now learn more about hockey because you're an idiot. And then at that right. point, you're yeah. like, hey, relax, relax, everybody. So yeah, you, I mean, the, yeah, the amount of, of hockey. Uh, chatter that that has been heard on both stations uh, in the last few weeks. There's a lot of stuff that goes over my head, to be honest with you. Sure. Um, you know, I, I just you can break down a particular play in football, baseball. You can break down, you know, any out or any strikeout or or, or any big play, but it's difficult to do in hockey. And you you remember certain things, and certainly the Ovechkin goal to start Game Seven was 
incredible. I mean, yeah. to, to think that we sat down thinking, okay, we're going to have to grind this out. This is going to be a long, long night. And then, boom, a minute into the game, they score. Go, whoa, 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 look at that. Yeah. Well, our uh, our boss, Christopher Johnson, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. CJ, sent a text saying, uh, just so I make sure you guys know, all caps tomorrow. Yeah. Meaning all, And I'm thinking – Really, like every single segment of all three hours is Capitals related because on the one hand, of course, we're going to talk about and revel in the victory, but how do you space that out as a show? Hey, wasn't that great? And hey, boy, that was awesome, wasn't it? And uh, hey, we're going to really win the cup now, all right? Okay, let's take calls. Yeah. Like you you have to kind of – I spent the top two – like I spent the top half hour of every hour solidly capitals but i had to mix in a few other things because i want my diet my sports diet at least to be a little varied yeah same here but you know what the program directors will tell you is people listen for a total of like 11 minutes and so the guy that heard the last quarter hour of your show and didn't hear you talking about the capitals and ah, i turned it on he wasn't talking about that right well that in that and if that's the answer i'd say well let's do one great hour of yeah. all capitals five different ways, and then rerun it at the <laughs> 5 o'clock and the 6 o'clock, and we'll be covered. There was a show that used to do that. Sookie, sookie. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So, do you think we've got a good chance to win the finals? With your vast hockey knowledge, Andy, do you think we got a good shot at beating Vegas? Okay, now let, let me not throw a turd in the punch bowl here. Okay. But let, let, let's think about this. If the capitals are playing for the Stanley Cup, and they lose to the first expansion team ever to make it to the finals. Now, I know people will say, you know, hockey expanded 1967, and they put all the expansion teams in one division, so St. Louis Blues made the finals three straight years. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the modern era right. of expansion. I mean, how do, you, how do you swallow that pill? Do you, you say, well, the league made it unfair. And now, you know, all these people now who, who know hockey say, oh, yeah, we knew back in September that the league, you know, weighted the scales for Vegas and made them a team that was going to be unbeatable. Crap. No, that's not true. This, this team is still an expansion team. They were listed at 500 to 1 at the beginning of the season to win the Stanley Cup. But only briefly. That, yeah. But if, if that team beats the Capitals – I know. I mean, how do we look back on this? Well, it, it would be the most Capitals thing ever, wouldn't it? <laughs> to yeah. lose, to be that team that loses to an expansion team. I uh, I feel very good about this series. I feel like just from a broad picture perspective, not even getting into the line combinations or the defense pairings of the Golden Knights, but just from a broad perspective, I see this Golden Knights team as one of those teams that finally turns into a pumpkin after being unbelievable for the first three rounds of the playoffs. I I see that sort of template right in front of my face. But, go ahead. I'm I'm not a hockey expert, but I did notice that the goalie is a guy named Marc-Andre Fleury. He was our, yeah, I know. Frustrated the Capitals the last two years, uh, wearing similar colors. (laughs) <laughs> different teams, similar colors. But the Caps have gone through a gauntlet so far of good goalies, really good goalies. Bobrovsky yes. for, for Columbus was former Vezina winner. Uh, you got Murray, who's a two-time Stanley Cup winner. Uh, you've got this year a um, Vezina finalist in uh, Vasilevsky. So they went through all those guys. So why yep. not Flurry? Flurry's having a great revival season, but he was left he was left exposed in the expansion draft for a reason. That's so. true. That's true. And he was beaten up by Murray. But still, there, there, there are all those things. And I think also this is, this is the key moment for Alexander Ovechkin. Do we look back at the end of his career and say, well, he was the Dan Marino of hockey? Or if he doesn't he... win, he'll be the Dan Marino of hockey, no question. Right. And, 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 and if he wins the Cup, he's thought of in such a different way. Now, I, I was thinking about this uh, today earlier that – there are two guys in the history of sports in Washington, D.C., who are considered the franchise people. One of them is Walter Johnson with the old Washington Senators in the 1920s, and the other is Sammy Ball with the Redskins in the 30s and the 40s. Ovechkin is that guy for the Capitals. Ball won a championship his first year with the Redskins in 37. Johnson won at the end of his career in the mid-20s with the Senators. So 
when we look at Ovechkin, will we look at him in that grouping? And I think we will if he wins a championship. Or is he just another great player who never won one? Good question. Also, where does he rank amongst the greatest athletes in D.C. sports history? Oh, I, I think he's he's right there with those other two that I mentioned. Okay. Um, and, and I also look at look at the players that we've had here who have been considered, you know, among the greatest of all time. Most of them have come from other places. Sonny Jurgensen came from the Eagles. John right. Riggins came from the Jets. Elvin Hayes was traded from the Houston Rockets. I mean, we have not had a homegrown guy like this probably since going back to Baugh and Walter Johnson. I was just going back thinking about Hall of Famers that we have had here in Washington. And basically, in the NFL, you can be a Hall of Famer and still be relatively anonymous, as in not the figure of your sport, not not the featured guy in your sport. Russ Grimm, Daryl Green, great players, mm-hmm. Hall of Famers. They're not, they weren't considered like, well, you know, Everyone's talking about Daryl Green again in the NFL. Not so with Ovi. Ovi is talked about as one of the handful of superstars in the league. So he'd be a superstar Hall of Famer that we have had. Prior to that, who? Uh, Wes uh, Wes Unseld? Elvin Hayes? Are both those guys in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, they they are in the Hall of Fame. But also remember this, you know, Wes Unseld played five years in Baltimore before he came here. Same uh, franchise, though. Same franchise, but... When you consider that from the jump, this was considered one of the great players in the league, and right. he has been for this, what, 13 years that he's played, but right now he's still without a ring, and this this silences a lot of the criticism that has followed his career. Yeah, and if he does stay with us to the very end and he goes to the Hall of Fame, which he will, he'll be the rare Otoff, as I call him, a one-team Hall of Famer. It's just getting harder and harder to do now in sports because everybody wants to go play a few more years somewhere else. Yeah, well, I mean, look at a guy like Ray Bork, who played, I think, 20 years in Boston, never won a cup, final year of his career, a ride-along, yeah. although he was a good player with the Colorado Avalanche, wins one. Ovechkin winning one here really means something. Yeah. And all along the way, you and I sat and presided over shots at Ovi from other people saying he's a dirty player or he's lazy at times. I played yesterday here on the Zabecast, the Mike Milbury rant, uh, where he just went off on Ovechkin back in 2013. Remember when they were talking, the, the Northeast writers were talking about, like, the, Washington doesn't deserve this guy. This was early on in Ovi's career. Oh, well, no, there was uh, a guy named Larry Brooks. I don't know whether he still writes for the New York Post, but he pretty much said, oh, yeah, you got to get him out of Washington. He, he's a New York Ranger. So let's <laughs> let's dispense with this little southern sleepy town and let's get him up here to New York. Yeah. And then, you know, when Ted signed that contract, you know, that was that was considered pretty much a, a groundbreaking move that you would sign a guy for that period of time for that amount of money. It's turned out to be a great deal for him. What was the number? Was it 10 years I think or was it was it, 10 years, and, and, and could it have been $130 million, maybe 140 something like that? I think so, and afterwards, uh, just recently, Ted was asked about the contract. He said, I, my only regret is I couldn't sign him for longer. I guess yeah. 10 was the max on that deal. All right, in a related story, I guess, regarding the Capitals, what did you make of Wilbon saying D.C. is a, quote, minor league sports town? That's his move. It's not the first time he said that. And, you know, Mr. Chicago, who's, who's finally got his Cubs World Series championship. Yeah. So I guess he feels like he can strut a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this as, as we've talked about, this is not a great sports town. And my feeling has always been it's a white-collar town, that people here work 70 hours a week. They don't work 40 hours a week. That's why football fits in so well, those three hours on Sunday. Right. And so people are not as emotionally invested in their teams as they are in other places. It doesn't mean, though, that when we have a possible championship with the Caps that we don't celebrate it as a, as a pretty big deal. But, you know, when just, you know, listening to sports talk radio here versus New York, the fans are much more knowledgeable about the baseball teams and the basketball teams because they put more time into it. People here just don't have the time to invest in that. Well, there's also more people in New York City, so it's not hard yeah. to cull the 1% of the 1% of people who are desperate to talk about Michael Conforto hitting four spots lower in the Yankees lineup and why that's going to make all the difference. Yeah, but, I mean, look at the great sports towns, blue-collar, Philadelphia, Detroit, Chicago, 
We don't have a lot of industry here. We, our industry is white collar. It's different. Right. We don't have as many factories. We have blue collar workers, no doubt, but they're all mostly in support of government processes, you know? Right. And we are such a federal town, too, that does change out every four years with each administration. And we're also a tech town in which the tech epicenters, especially Dulles, Loudoun, et cetera, and then more over in uh, Bethesda and, and Silver Spring and whatnot, they're far from the city center. Right, right. And we also have what we've had over the years. I'm a Maryland guy. Going to Virginia might as well be Egypt for me and vice versa for you. So it's different. <laughs> uh, exactly. Okay, moving right along. Next issue. NFL Anthem. Have they licked the problem once and for uh, all? This is such good Dell. When it's happening, when Colin Kaepernick is, is kneeling, Goodell makes a statement like, you know, we kind of like the individuality of our players. And now it's to the point where they realize, oh, it's hurting ratings, it's hurting image, so we're going to do this. Uh, What they easily could have done is they could have said, okay, teams don't come out of the locker room until the national anthem is over. But they like patriotism. Patriotism sells. So they've come up with this convoluted idea where players can elect to stay in the locker room for the anthem if they want. Then you have... Is it Chris Johnson, who's Woody's brother? Woody's yeah, an ambassador Chris... to Tanzania or something like that, <laughs> well, and, and yeah. so he's he's out of the picture. It's like uh, it's like when Mr. French left Family Affair for, when he had a heart attack, and his uh, brother came over from England. I mean, it's bizarre. <laughs> That's an old reference, by the way. A yeah, very old uh, reference. But, but he's saying that they're going to pay the fines, and there was not a vote on this. There was just a quote unquote consensus to do this. This is a mess. And Goodell can never get his arms around this kind of thing. I think they didn't want to vote because they didn't want on record what teams exactly did or did not support it. Because that would be used against them in the media. And then, you know, on top of all this, sitting, being in the anthem is the new kneeling. It's the new way to protest. And there will be writers that count how many players don't come out for the anthem. Right. Right. And, and, and the photos that exist of Jerry Jones kneeling on the sidelines, how will we look back at this five years from now? <laughs> right. He, what a looked, mess. he looked so pained when he was doing that because it was a yeah. locking arms kneeling down and it wasn't during the anthem, it was before the anthem. Right. And, and the message got so mixed. Kaepernick wasn't protesting the flag. He was protesting police brutality, and somehow it got mixed up with the president then, you know, <laughs> cussing, cussing out the players for doing it. It, it. it just got so confused, and you, what you needed was someone with a good sense to say, hey, let's get ahead of this. Let's not let this train run too far down the tracks. But no, they had Roger yeah. Goodell. They could also have just let it die because it had pretty much dwindled in the offseason. Sometimes right. doing nothing is very underrated in life. Right. And they decided, well, we can't do nothing because we're afraid. Really, the owners are afraid of Trump. They're afraid of Trump whipping people up by tweeting out something inflammatory, and it got them to jump last fall. They, right. Right. What, what The biggest mistake was all the players and all the owners let Trump get in their heads when he said what he said, when they should have just shrugged it off and said, Get out of here, man. And kept playing football. That was when yeah. they all locked arms. And this is an outrage. And hargle, bargle, hargle, bargle. Well, that means Trump now lives in your head. When he can tweet something that's crazy, you guys jump and go nuts. Ignore that fool. Right, right. Yeah. Could have done it. And the NBA, you know, the NBA players and, and coaches like Steve Kerr have been very critical of this. The NBA has a policy that you can't do this. Right, but it was collectively bargained. So exactly. this will now. And so this maybe, issue will maybe. now be on the table in the collective bargaining talks. Oh well, when there's a lockout in 2021, this will not be a negotiable item. This will be the owner saying you you cannot kneel. That's that's pretty clear. That's not going to be uh, on the table. They could have they could have gone to the players' association and they could have said, look, television ratings are dropping. This hurts overall revenue. Revenue is tied to salary cap. You guys need to help us to make sure that the ratings stay up 
and come to some kind of an agreement on this. No, they did what they like to do because, as Tech Schramm said 40 years ago, we're the ranchers, they're the cattle. And that's how they like to operate. <laughs> we're the ranchers, they're the cattle. Yeah. All right. Did you see the? Uh, did you see Troy Vincent say that they reviewed 40,000 plays last year and only three of them would have merited an ejection under the new helmet-lowering rules? To which I immediately thought, well, then it doesn't sound like you have a problem if it's three yes. hits. But do you think it won't be a problem this year? Oh, no. I think it's going to be a huge point of controversy when a player gets kicked out and there's a penalty for a hit that looked like a normal football tackle. Right, and it's going to be another delay as they try to determine exactly the position of the head. And more Zabruder film. Oh, his head was tilted at a 45-degree angle, not a 50-degree angle. Therefore, he shouldn't be ejected. This is going to be just another mess that's going to muck up the games. Yes, I still defend instant replay, but this is going to be another thing that's going to make it more untenable. Right. Do you uh, like the NFL OTAs? Because this week now you got teams reporting, and so reporters get to stick microphones in players' faces and ask them questions about stuff. It is so irrelevant to actual football, but it's great for marketing, don't you think? Well, I, I, I heard you say, <laughs> mocking Jay Gruden, uh, saying how great it was that Alex Smith was picking up the offense. Oh, right. <laughs> right. I think I said on my show, I go, can you imagine a coach going, Boy, I tell you what, he's so lost right now. I think we might have made a huge mistake with this trade. No, no one's right. going to say that. Everything is rosy. Every quarterback is super. Things are going swimmingly. Nothing to see here. Right, right. I mean, you had you had uh, the, the Shanahan named Robert Griffin the third, the starting quarterback on the first day of rookie minicamp, saying how much he had learned the playbook after four years with the Redskins. Griffin still didn't know the playbook. I <laughs> know, isn't that funny? <laughs> But yeah. yet, these reporters, and I see them when I go into work at Redskins Park, they're, they're, the parking lot is filled. They're all there dutifully watching practice. They're asking questions. They're filing reports. They're tweeting stuff out. Do you think that all those people are sitting there going, I can't believe they're making me do this, my employer? Yeah. No, I mean, it's just part of know, the job. Part of the whole, yeah, it's part of the machine, and, and it's good for marketing for the NFL. I would say this, though. Uh, I don't know what the reaction is on Boston Sports Talk Radio, but it would seem to me that it would be a fairly big deal that that Tom Brady doesn't show up. Uh, that, to me, seems it's just a bad look. They're, you know, he is the franchise. Yeah, and for him not to show up to, quote-unquote, spend more time with his family, which is the biggest pile of crap that anyone ever says when they <laughs> need, need time off from doing what they do. Uh, that, to me, is is a little bit, uh, you know, it makes you wonder if there really is trouble in paradise there. Yeah. I'm trying to think the last time a Redskin quarterback skipped so-called OTAs and or minicamp. Well, I, I think the, the last Redskin I remember that skipped OTAs was uh, Sean Taylor. Uh, and, didn't know Deshaun Jackson missed some stuff. Okay, but I mean, it was a big deal with, with Sean Taylor. And remember, when Gibbs came in, he said to us, well, they call them optional team activities, but we're going to make them mandatory. <laughs> and then... Uh, Sean Taylor wouldn't even return his phone calls. Right, right. Yeah, it's all such bullshit. I, I, I understand these guys that have to file reports do it because their editors say, "Oh, it's clicks, it's clicks, it's you know most viewed story." You know, people love their football, but it is running around in shorts and with no defense being played. I mean, it has the most tenuous connection to actual football I've ever seen. And people yeah, talk about, ooh, Paul Richardson caught a long bomb from Alex Smith. Hopefully that'll be a great connection this year. I take my notebook out, puts Richardson down for 27 yeah. catches. Look, you know, the, the reason that these mini camps started, and I think they go back to maybe like the 1960s with Lombardi, do they, all he wanted to do was yeah. to see if the guys hadn't gotten too far out of shape, you know, four or five months into the off season. These, that was it. You, these you mini left, camps, uh, they started that long ago? Yeah, yeah, I think they did, and I, I believe Lombardi was was among the first to do it, huh. and uh, and th and that was the real purpose of it. Because what would happen is, you know, when the season would end in December, uh, players would go, and the, most of the time in those days they had to have off season jobs to support themselves. They'd go to their off season jobs, and then you know maybe June or so they'd start getting in shape. And training camp opened like early July, like it wasn't long after the Fourth of July. You had two grueling months. Two and a half, really, because the season didn't start till mid-September. 
to get into shape. Well, yeah. now they're in shape all the time. Right. So it's different. Did, didn't the Redskins pick players up by train going well, across the country? Before my time. That's, yeah, that's back in the 1950s, maybe the 40s. But, yeah, they did. Where they, they would train in California, right? Yeah, yeah. And they would play. Sometimes they would play exhibitions along the way to uh, drum up some interest. You know, the league, the league really didn't establish itself as, as well. It wasn't a kingpin until the 70s, but the 50s really vaulted into major sports status. The, the 58 championship game is given a lot of credit for, you know, taking us into the modern era of football. Yeah. All right, one more sports thing before I got two non-sports questions and then we're done for the day. NBA playoffs, how much have you been watching? Watching some. I mean, these 9 o'clock starts are killers. They're bad. Um, I, I, I wind up catching up on the highlights in the morning. It's, it's amazing to me that uh, Chris Paul and Harden could shoot, I, I think it was like 11 for 40. Yeah, they were terrible. And, and they won. Yeah. It, they won in part because Kevin Durant didn't make a shot in the fourth quarter last night. Yeah, yeah. Kevin freaking Durant, Mr. MVP, the guy that got all butthurt when uh, the Oklahoma City paper said Mr. Unreliable, the guy that creates burner accounts on Twitter when people criticize his game. He was one for four in game four and then didn't hit a field goal in game five in the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. and passed I mean, up was, what could have been the game-winning shot in game four. He was supposed to make them unbeatable, and you know they did. They won the championship last year. But, you know, sometimes too much talent is not a good thing, and they may have that. The style of play, too, in the NBA now, I know this is going to be old man and lawn chair shakes fist, but it is, I, I don't know how it got this one-dimensional. It literally is isolation, contested three, bailout foul, yeah. repeat. That's yeah, no, pretty it's, much it's, what it's it the is. The guy will, will, will fling himself at the rim and throw his arms up in the air if he doesn't get fouled. Right. Or he'll try to drive to the basket, and there's a kick out for a three. That's the offense. That's it. I don't know when it got this way, and I don't know if there's any way back from it, but I hope so because it's really devolving into a hard watch. Yeah, but, well, I think they got to change the rules. And What would they know, change the rules? You know, there, there are old-timers like Bob Ryan who will tell you that the three-point shot has hurt offense in the NBA, that there are no plays being run because there's no reason to try to get close to the basket, which was the original intent when they hung the peach baskets. <laughs> so th- the game is all about, you know, finding the guy for the open three and the three point shot. While it's added some excitement to the game, it, it the analytics tell you it's better to take a three point shot than a two point shot. So make it and so that so what eliminate three point shot or make it longer. Even longer. Well, make either one, but right now, that's the game. It's, it's throw yourself at the rim and, and bitch because you didn't get fouled right. or shoot a three. That's the game. That's it. Well, and then don't forget, pump fake a three, get the defender to jump, and then you yeah. jump into him. I saw exactly. that five times last night in the second half alone. Five times. Yeah, well, it's a good play. It works. Yeah, I guess it does. All right, two quick non-NFL st- or non-sports stories. Did you see Morgan Freeman has gone down? Eight Ugh. women coming forward to accuse him of sexual harassment. The gentle, beloved icons just keep falling, Andy. What the hell? It is, it is amazing uh, in the past year what has happened. Now, uh, I've re- is read it one Bill year? O'Reilly is looking to make a comeback and maybe sign to a major network to do something. So, you know, the question is, how long is the rehabilitation for people like this? And what kind of culture has existed for so long that has made this acceptable for a guy who got his start on Sesame Street? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Morgan Freeman was on Sesame Street. (laughs) I forgot that. Well, let's uh, let's also keep an open mind. I'm, I'm also, you know me, Andy, skeptical of quite a lot of these claims. I don't think that, I'm not naive enough to think, oh, Morgan Freeman was a saint. He never touched anybody. But I also think there is some extreme opportunism out there, especially now that there is this feeding frenzy. No? Yeah. So. Yeah, I I mean, I I don't know what went on. 
I do know that that I have been in newsroom situations where it's somewhat uncomfortable watching the interaction between a male employee and a female employee. So I I don't know, you know, and then you take that to the network level where you have, you know, big stars like Matt Lauer and Bill O'Reilly, you know, where they feel like they're, they're entitled to that kind of thing. So, you know, it's hard for me to say, but, but it does seem that like dominoes, they're going down one by one. It's crazy. And the last one is this. Did you see the story of the 30 year old who was taken to court by his parents to get the fuck out of their house? Yes, I did see that. Michael Rotundo, he lost his case in upstate New York court, and he gave an interview afterwards. He had long hair, a mangy beard. He looked like a complete loser. If you were to say, what loser would actually take his parents to court to be able to stay in their house when they want him gone, he would be the very picture of that guy? Yes. Well, I I, I won't name a name, Uh but there's someone who, uh, at least for the moment, is is working at your radio station Yeah, uh, who has grown kids living at home, and I spent part of a Christmas party uh, listening to him bemoan the fact that the guy would not move out. What? (laughs) What? Wow. Wow, I'm gonna have and to get that. His name rhymes with ripcord, but you know that that kind of thing uh, <laughs> could go on in different places. Well, uh, I thought you were gonna mention me because no. technically you plucked me when I first started working for the team and for five seventy or no nine. Wait, it was five seventy. It was five seventy back in nineteen ninety four. Uh, you plucked me off my parents' couch. Well, Briefly. That, you know, look, I, I, I had a period of time where I moved back home in between radio jobs, so I, I can't okay. be critical of that. But this is this was a situation of the, uh, the person who still works at your station, I believe, uh, who had kids in their 30s, maybe 40s, living at home. Yeah. Well, it's tough out there. you got to pay your own bills. you got to find your own place. It's expensive, exactly. right, Andy? And, but luckily exactly. you're – you know, I, I moved out when I was 19. Yeah. But I did move back in for a little while, so I can't <laughs> – can't be critical. But your your two kids are happily out of the house and thriving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why great. we're able to downsize. We now live in a uh, townhouse in Germantown. That's beautiful. And how's and how is the move now? You finally unboxed everything? Well, you know, Not as I really. told you, I took too much stuff, so the basement's a little full. I'm going to have to clean that out. But uh, we do have now room in the kitchen. The bedroom is cleaned out. There's a box upstairs I've got to put in the linen closet. But we're getting there. We're getting there. My, I told my wife that about you saying we, we, we took too much stuff. And she said, that's exactly what one of you know some of my friends said. So I mm-hmm. think when it comes time for any of us to move, only pack up what you can pack up in like two hours. <laughs> and that way you only take the most important stuff, right? I know, but, you know, I, I, I've already been hit with my daughter. What about my little dogs? Did you get those? You know, oh, those no. Things she used to carry around when she was three years old. I, oh, I, I hope God. so. I hope it's in one of the boxes, but I don't know. All right, Capitals, Knights, Stanley Cup prediction, Andy. Go. I say the Capitals win in six. I think they uh, they clinch it on home ice. The, uh, the The fact that they're starting on the road is probably good for them. And uh, I think they take it in six. Okay. Well, then you and I are going to the parade, so make sure to bu- you know, carve out some time if that happens. Can we ride in the convertible with Ted? you think he'd allow that? Ted will not let us ride in this convertible. But I'll <laughs> believe it or not, Andy, I'll be happy for Ted. I will, too. I'll be happy for Ted. Life's too short not to be happy for billionaires. All right, buddy, I'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. I assume some charcoal briquette grilling is in your future. If I have the time and the weather cooperates. (laughs) Very good. All right, Andy, see ya. We'll end on this. Would you feel comfortable sending your nudes to Facebook to help prevent possible revenge porn? I know what you're saying. I don't have nude selfies. Come on. Why would I even have such things? Well, young people do because young people are... Well, they're not that smart at times, and they're very sexually active these days, and they have their phones, and they have cameras on them, and they do things they don't really think about, such as take pictures of themselves engaged in the natural act. Well, the problem becomes then when you break up with said boyfriend or girlfriend, and they get upset, butthurt, pissed off, and decide, okay, well, I still got those photos of you, so uh, upload and blink, or text it around to people and blink, isn't that great? Well, Facebook says, don't worry, 
we've got a plan. Revenge porn, which is a, I don't know if it's a growing problem or a serious problem. It's it's a problem if you have nudes you don't want out there uh, put up by your ex-lover. Their solution is we have software that can identify the image that you don't want on the internet within pretty much seconds of it being uploaded to any number of affiliated and unaffiliated social media sites. Probably not every website in the world, but just about all the ones you're going to want that picture of you with your legs akimbo, not on. So what they say is they are developing a program in which that you, if you were worried about this, would send your nudes proactively before they get on the internet to a secure, they promise, they promise it's secure, a secure, trusted, one-time upload site uh, controlled by Facebook that would then scan those pictures into its no-fly database on the web, and then therefore the algorithms would spot that picture, say a year down the road when you break up with your girlfriend or boyfriend, and the photo appears on some website as revenge porn, it would be automatically and quickly, bloop, deleted. Well, do you trust Facebook with those? Can you imagine the news story? There's been a hack of the Facebook voluntary naked selfie database. (laughs) You could also create a hell of a website uh, if you were to grab all of those (laughs) naked selfies, personal nudes, etc., etc., course you're not giving you don't have permission then to make a website out of that i'm just saying it would be an incredible clearinghouse of such photos here's another idea teach your kids and maybe if you're an adult too who sometimes gets crazy to put the phone down it just is no good to be taking pictures of that stuff All right, that will be a wrap for today. Yes, indeed, summertime. Remember this Memorial Day weekend, everyone who made the ultimate sacrifice for this beautiful, incredible country of ours, diverse, far-flung, hard-working, hard-playing, and inclusive and tolerant country. Not perfect by any measure, but striving always to be a little bit more perfect every day. Good old America. Watch a great war movie. Do something nice for a veteran. Enjoy the spring weather. And just remember, bad things are always preceded by the phrase, oh yeah, hold my beer. Thanks for listening. Summer is officially open, and we will see you next time.